I'm a pastor of a big church in our town. And I'm like, who can I call? Like, I need, I need pastored. And uh, the relationship that Joey and I had at the time was enough that I, I knew that if I reached out to him, he would help me. Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Intersection, a podcast that takes a real look at how race and relationships intersect. We will look at how our unique and diverse lives intersect with thousands of people on a regular basis, and how the gospel intersects with each facet and issue that we face. Join us as we look at how we can set our eyes on the life of Christ as a source of compassion for each of our relationships. Our hosts include Pastor Jeff Bogue, Senior Pastor at Grace Church of Greater Akron, Bishop Joey Johnson, founder and senior pastor at the House of the Lord, and pastor coach Kemp Boyd, co-pastor at Garden City Church and executive director for Love Akron. Keep listening as we cross paths on today's episode of The Intersection. Welcome everybody to another episode of The Intersection, and I am joined by, man, my friends, brothers, mentors, uh, Pastor Jeff Bogue, Bishop um, Joey Johnson, and also a new friend that we keep inviting back. And guess what? He just keeps showing up, um, <laughs> Dr. Daniel Hawk. So brothers, thank you so much for being with us. How's everybody doing today? Very good. Great. Great. Awesome. And so just the topic that we've been talking about now seems like over the past, man, almost month or months is how can we see Jesus in a more unified way? So that's kind of, if you will, the overarching if you were topic in discussion, but now what we kind of found, it seems like we're starting to pick up different pathways of how we're going to get there. And so really the, the, the premise that's going to lead us through this episode is relational trust versus um, doctrinal trust, which is very interesting. So the question is not, do I trust your interpretation of the word? It's, do I trust you? So, hey, everybody on here in some capacity is either um, leading and educating others in, for, for you, Dr. Hawk, in, you know, Old Testament theology, right? We have Bishop Johnson, who is leading the church and pastoring and kind of presenting doctrinal truth. There's, there's you also, Pastor Jeff, you're doing the same thing. And even me, myself, as a co-pastor of Garden City. And it's like, yeah, we can have all these doc- doctrinal truths, but it's like, but do I trust you? So I kind of want to jump right in, if, if possible, and just say, you know, Bishop Johnson, give us kind of the difference from a standpoint of definition between relational trust and doctrinal trust. Well, when you start talking about doctrinal trust, part, part of the issue is that American Christianity spends a large part of its time going through doctrines and affirming doctrines and arguing doctrine uh, as if that is the sine qua non, that's the uppermost thing we ought to be doing. And what happens is we sometimes forget about the fact that the trust that we have in God is relational trust. It's not doctrinal trust. We trust his word because we trust his person and his heart. And so if, if racism is the original sin, and I believe it is, it's, it's not about um, what, who, what we trust. It's about who we trust. It, it, and it's about relational trust. Uh, the thing that really shocks me about Christianity is all the talk 
that evangelicals like to do about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And then the first thing we asked you after that is what do you believe? Not who do you know, but what do you believe? As if your belief will determine your trust level and how you're gonna live that out. So I define trust more as a vulnerability to someone that you are expecting something from. Uh, you, if you can't make yourself vulnerable, I'm not sure we can say you, you are trusting in them. So this, this is big stuff. It's heavy. It's deep um, because it's not what we want to talk about. It's not what we choose to talk about. We, we talk as if we, if we agree doctrinally, that's all that's really important. And I'm not sure we can get there without the relational piece. Mm. Appreciate that, Bishop. Thank you so much. And man, Anybody, Dr. Hogg, Pastor Jeff, man, let's chime in on, on what we just heard here from Bishop as far as those definitions. I love the fact as far as the expectation, right? The expectation, the vulnerabilities for spot or perspective. So, it, you know, man, Dr. Hawk, you hear this, man. Is this something that you agree with? You want to add on to it? Or is there careful, a little pushback? Careful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I, I... I'm, I'm thinking about how uh, the the language of belief in in the Bible is is mainly relational, you know, and mainly couched in the language of emotion rather than in the language of the intellect. Uh, love, um, love is is uh, it's it's not just a doctrine. We all know what love is. Love is is a deep and solid and and uh, significant attachment to, to somebody. But one of the things I was thinking was just uh, way back in the creation narratives in Genesis, uh, after Eve is taken from Adam, uh, there's, there's a statement the biblical writer makes, uh, and they were both naked, and they were unashamed, which I understand as a, a a picture of, of the way God intends for human beings to be in community with each other. Um, when when we, we recognize uh, the lordship of God over our lives, uh, that, that kind of transparency without shame, and that presumes a very deep level of trust in each other, uh, as well as our God. And, and, and we all know that, that the first thing that happened after Eve and Adam ate of the fruit is, uh, and, and decided that they could do a better job running this world than the creator. First thing they did was they covered themselves. They put a barrier. And you know we've, we've been trying to work through that barrier ever since. So yeah, I, it goes back deep. I, I agree strongly with that, but it goes back to kind of the core of our humanity. Um, it's interesting, Daniel, that you brought up the uh, the creation narrative. I actually wrote a book a few years ago called Living Naked, which you need to be very careful when you Google. Make sure you put <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, but it it, uh, it was all about that, like authenticity, vulnerability, that 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 is God's ideal. And and I explored a little bit in that book, but tied to that back all the way back to the the genesis of humanity right i also have always found it fascinating that as god created 
uh, he would usually create and end it with, and, uh, and it was good. And the only time that he said it was not good was he said, it's not good that man should be alone. Mm. And we talk about that a lot of times with marriage, but I'm like, that's not just marriage. That is relationships. One of mm. the things that if you, if you took like that theme and meta narrative and pulled it through the New Testament, all the one anothering in the New Testament, you could say is tied to relieving aloneness. So I mirror Jesus into your life and I relieve your aloneness. I empathize, I hear. And then sometimes you could even say, I, I cannot walk a mile in your shoes, but I can walk a mile beside you <laughs> and care about your shoes and care about your life and all those kind of things. So I think that's relational all the way through here at, at Grace and, and some of what I've written on and things like that. I actually have picked up this term that uh, called relational theology, mm. that you cannot understand God's word and understand Jesus's heart unless you unless you understand it relationally, which is what uh, both of, of these guys have just said. So I agree with that very, very strongly. The doctrinal point um, is interesting. And when I think about uh, what Bishop is saying there, it's interesting to me that whether it's evangelicalism or really any kind of ism, uh, when, when, when you get in, when you approach your relationships through the ism first, what you're doing is ruling out. And what, what has always um, bothered me or challenged me in, in, uh, in my theology is when I look at, like Bishop is a great example. Like, so, so Joey and I are not gonna line up point by point theologically. Like that's, we would have different convictions, different beliefs. So normally what you would do in Christendom is you'd be like, I don't really work with the house of the Lord and I know who Joey is, but not really, we're not friends. That's normal. That would be the normal tact doctrinally. What I think I've tried to do or want is say, first of all, I love Joey. Joey loves me. I, I asked for his help one time in my life and the man dropped everything was by my side. And I'm probably still in ministry because of it. So I love him. He loves me. And if we looked at our churches and said, instead of what do we rule out, what can we rule in? Even though we're not dead on with each other, I bet you we're about 97% on with each other. And so if you start with like, I trust you, I love you, let's find all the ways that we agree because we're, it, it's not, we, dis, we don't disagree about Jesus. <laughs> so let's find all the ways that we agree instead of the few little ways that we don't agree. It changes the whole conversation and it changes the question of unity within the body of Christ, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So I, I, I find if you change that score, like if we, if we can't agree about Jesus, I probably... Uh, not probably, I can't agree with you. But if we're talking about giftings, if we're talking about the way the spirit works today, if we're talking about how to structure a church, um, we agree on most things. Uh, some of those things are just practices 
And then some of it like would be honest disagreements. And that's why I'm not on Bishop's staff, <laughs> right? Because we wouldn't see eye to eye on those things. But our churches can function together very closely as brothers and sisters because of how much we do rule in as opposed to the couple of things we might rule out. Yeah, but Jeff, we're talking about- Bishop, one second, because yeah, I, I, I want to dive into something that Pastor Jeff said in regards to him reaching out to you and how you dropped everything. Now, what, first of all, was there a relationship there between you and Bishop that caused you to do that? Because that was an intimate thing. So there was some type of trust there, correct? Pastor Jeff? Yeah, there was. And there, I wouldn't say there was like a, a ton of relationship. Like Joey and I have known each other and, and I, all joking aside, I am quite a bit younger than Joey is. He just looks, I look older than he does, but I'm quite a bit younger than he is. But it was a situation, uh, my parents had died and my parents lived with my wife and I, they died 53 weeks to the day apart. I was devastated by grief. Um, I'm a I'm a pastor of a big church in our town. And I'm like, who can I call? Like I need, I need pastored. And uh, the relationship that Joey and I had at the time was enough that I, I knew that if I reached out to him, he would help me. And so I did, I called him yeah. and, and we met and he's, he walked me through the, he identified, he's like, you're not depressed. You're not, you're grieving. I'm like, okay, what do I do next? He's like, come to this support group at the house. So I did. And, and whatever he, whatever our relationship was, I'm not sure I know how to define it, but I knew enough that if I called him, he would take my call and he stopped whatever he was doing. I think it might've been the next day that we were together. And I'm like, I will forever love and forever serve Bishop because he did that to me, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I would say our relationship started to deepen then and become more mature from, from that point forward. It would yeah. help to build the relational trust that exists now today because you said that, hey, I knew, or let me say this, I trusted that he would that he would call me back, that he would get back to me. So, I, you know, just for our listeners, those that are viewing, I don't want to, I just didn't want to run over what you said yeah. because that's what brings us back to these things all the time, right? It's the relational trust that we've built up between one another. And honestly, that I get to witness and see between you and you and Bishop um, constantly. So I just didn't want to run over that passage. Thank you so much for you being open and vulnerable. Just kind of let us in on that. So go ahead, Bishop. Well, I was going to say in, in the African-American church, we have a, a what's called the theology of suspicion. Hmm. And if you've been hurt enough times, you approach people suspiciously. I think Brother Jeff demonstrated a certain level of trust based upon what he knew. He didn't, uh, he didn't uh, demonstrate trust beyond uh, certain boundaries. He didn't know certain things about me, but he knew enough to trust what he knew. That means he had to make himself vulnerable mm. in order to get any further. So I think one of the things we need to discuss is vulnerability and power. Power, I don't think will allow you to be vulnerable, nor will it allow you to put down your suspicion 
Uh, he came for help. He didn't come to help or to straighten out or to correct or he came because there is something that I need, I think I see, and I believe I can trust him at that level. Remember, mm -hmm. he's not trusting me for things that he does not know about, uh, big things yet, but he's trusting me for, he doesn't know yet how I'm going to respond. There mm -hmm. is a certain level of vulnerability there. Cause it, I could just say, well, you know, Jeff, God, you know, God bless you. I know you're, you're a great man of God. I don't have time for this kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I'll see you next year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you don't know how a person's going to respond, right? Yeah. But there is enough trust there to be able to take some level of vulnerability. And I think there, therein lies the problem. You have to let down your power in order to raise your trust and in order to let yourself be vulnerable. Yeah, that, that's, man, that's so good. And I, I want to go here, Bishop, because you sent, I believe all of us, um, a sermon series that you did is, I think it was six different ones, but you titled it The, the Death of Trust. And it was titled the, um, the destabilization of society. And so there were, there were six different ones. And first, first thing I want to ask you is what led you to say, Hey man, this is something that we need to talk about, not just once, but six different times to really break it down. In actuality, we were doing the uh, racial equity, social justice task force and, um, Tamika Rose, um, got one of our colleagues to come on. And she came on and her, her presentation was about trust. And I'm saying, that's interesting. I mean, we're talking about racial equity and social justice. She wants to talk about trust. But it, but it kicked, started something for me that that's what we should be talking about. That's where the issues are. That's where the struggles are. How do we trust one another? How do we get beyond the suspicion? Uh, and so as I began to look at it, the first thing I began to notice was in America, I just went to the, to, to the web and looked up, Google some stuff as I do sometimes. And it began to say over and over again, in America, there is a dearth of trust. We don't hardly trust anybody. Mm -hmm. We don't even trust ourselves, <laughs> much less other people. And so if that's the case, you cannot have a society or healthy relationships without some kind of trust. So that means all of society is in trouble. And then I began to look at where, who are the people that we trust and what is the ranking of those people? And pastors were ranked about eighth. Mm. And I said, that's not good. <laughs> mm. That's not good. I mean, here I am. A, an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a representative of God, a, and I and you only trust me eighth. Yeah, that's problematic. And and then as I began to look at that, do we trust the church? Because that's the con the, the context we're in. And it's not the church that people don't trust; it's her leaders. Mm. Which, which raises a question for me, as uh, Bishop, as you've been talking and Jeff, you were having this conversation. Um, what's the relationship then between trust and character? I mean, I how does character relate to trust? There is a huge relationship because 
I, the all of Christianity is built around believing God. And you said earlier, the New Testament text is more literally Jesus saying, believe on me or believe into me. He's not saying believe something about me. He's saying, believe on me, who I am, my character. You know me, I grew up here. And one of the things they begin to get into was, well, who is this guy? Where does he come from? Who's his father? Uh, who's his mother? Um, and, and we begin to, be, to look at his home of origin and his character and whether he can carry out what it is he says. He, can we believe him? Is he believable? Can we rely upon him? Can we trust him to carry out what he says he's going to do? And so that's what it becomes. Do you believe in God? A lot of people don't believe in God. Look, we're, we're facing this right now. I mean, look, we don't have to search for examples. People won't take the vaccination because they don't trust the government. <laughs> we don't have to look for one. They don't trust the church because they don't trust her pastors. So we've got some work we need to do. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with this very strongly. And I, and I think trust and character is very tied together because character is person, right? And so um, I, I don't think you can separate those two things. This is why, and maybe I get to stir the pot this week, <laughs> said a bishop, but this is why institutionally, you cannot solve things like racism because you cannot look and say white people should trust black people and black people should trust white people. There's too much broken down. There's hundreds of years of slavery. There's, there's, there's too much of this. The only way that you can do that is, is person to person. And the same thing I think is true of the church. If you said, um, do you trust church leaders? people might say, no, the, the sex abuse, the money, the do you trust uh, Bishop Johnson? Well, yeah, you know, you trust Pastor, when Pastor Jeff asks you for money, do you think he's going to go buy a jet with it? No, he would never, and it's because there's a, there's a relational tie, a personal tie. I think, I think if we're ever going to have any kind of forward momentum, and I'm not talking correcting a legal system or a, I'm talking relational here, relational, right? If we're ever going to have forward momentum relationally, it is the church of Jesus Christ saying, I have a brother or a sister that I would at least be vulnerable enough to get to know and to build some trust. And I think kind of back to our original point a little bit, if we let doctrinal division rob us of that relational opportunity, that's just foolish. And so it, it's the, I, you don't have to go to my church in order to be a part of racial reconciliation. You could go to Kemp's church. <laughs> or Bishop's Church, and we don't have to agree with all of the doctrinal points. If we can agree on Jesus, and we can agree we're brothers, and we can agree that it's worth our effort and energy, and it even brings glory to God to make the effort to push past 
what the, these broken trust barriers. And I just, I'm deeply convicted by that. Like if the, if the church can't model that, it's hopeless. It, it, I don't know what else to do with it, you know, um, because we're motivated on such a different level than uh, our motivation is not, can't we all get along? Right. Our motivation is we're supposed to represent Jesus. And when we don't get along, we distort the glory of our God. And so let's Brother, do that. Hard Brother, work. Jeff, Brother Jeff, I'm gonna, I, I don't want to, we're, we're talking so um, uh, easily about this subject. I don't want it to be too easy because you, you made a statement earlier that I think is oxymoronic, relational theology. We can talk about it very easily. I'm not sure I have ever heard, besides you and me, maybe Dr. Hawk, the two words put together, theology and relational, don't go together. It's either doctrinal theology or some other word, but it is not relational theology. And so relationship becomes the critical issue. And earlier you made a statement that I really like. I'm going to push on a little bit. Um, we ought to be able to love one another. And God certainly loves us. But we don't seem to understand the fact that God loves people who are quite different from us and maybe disagree with us. Absolutely. And uh, I, I, I go here sometimes, Dr. Hawk will correct me in, on this, hopefully. Um, I believe God loves the devil. But the devil will not meet certain criteria in order to receive that love. So we look at God, he's got to hate the devil. Well, I don't know if he was, if he was the chief uh, music maker in heaven. And if he was all of those things that Ezekiel says, he seems to be saying he was, God uh, must have had, a, must have loved the devil an awful lot and be awful brokenhearted over all that is going on. I don't, I haven't heard any sermon. I don't know, but there can't be heard any sermons on God's brokenheartedness over the devil. I have not. I'd love to. No, because we do not see God as a God of love and a relational God. We see him as a doctrinal God. Dr. Hawk, jump in there. Well, I'm just thinking uh, what what the two of you are saying just points to how much, I'm, I'm going to take it way back to get beginning in a way, how much rewiring, uh, particularly uh, we white evangelicals have to do. Um, the, because we live in an information age, you know, and we're, we're so easily drawn to defining our relationships, our commitments, our dispositions in terms of uh, things and issues and doctrines and ideas and principles. And what y'all are suggesting is, is you know, it, it's not, a, again, a doctrinal unity that defines us. It's a relational unity that defines who we are as sisters and brothers in the body of Christ. And so I'm, I'm just thinking about, uh, about Jesus and uh, how he conducted his ministry. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't call a bunch of people and sit them down and say, okay, uh, we're going we're gonna to start with basic doctrine 101, um, and we're going to get the right ideas into you so that you'll know the right way to think and the right way to live. He called 12 men 
and, and said, uh, share life with me. And these individuals, uh, some of them from what little we know, uh, you know, would have been, you wouldn't have caught them, you know, within, uh, you know, uh, a mile of each other in the, in the normal world. You had, you had Simon the Canaanian, who was probably a part of an insurrectionist group resisting the Roman occupation. And then on the other hand, you had Matthew, the tax collector, who is uh, a collaboration with, with the occupying powers. I mean, th these are folks that are at the polar opposites, and yet they came together to follow Jesus and to share life with each other in Christ. And I think there's something that just strikes me that Jesus was really sharp. He understood, <laughs> he understood yeah. what we need. Follow. And I, I want to go back to your point, though, Dr. Hawk, about and that's what I was thinking of. Like, how do we how do we re, how do we reteach this concept? Because I think that's what I run into the most is from an, from a, if you will, uh, a white evangelical side. What I get is very hard line kind of, you know, all these different type of things. And, and what has been taken out is the relational aspect. And when you take out the relational aspect of things, you kind of take out the emotional of it, the emotional side of it as well, which yeah. I think culturally um, as a black person, I've grown up in that. I've grown up in emotion and the, whether it's the tears because man, the praise and worship was so high. And we talk about being high in the spirit and those type of things to where, you know, um, you go, you go on the other side and it's much more, you know, it, it's not there. We're not really teaching and talking in that type of way, but, but I'm loving what I'm hearing regarding uh, what Pastor Jeff is saying about, well, you know, but how do we, how do we reprogram that? I guess is my question to where it's okay to allow those emotions to come forth without them necessarily running and ruling because relationally it's going to happen, right? I'm in relationship with my wife. So I'm moved by her. I'm moved by the presence, right? That I have, I was moved when I talked to Pastor Jeff after our breakfast and he said, Kemp, I hope you understand. I, I know you don't like hearing this, but those people are there because they trust your leadership. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't know this, but that moved me, right? That, that, you know, I get moved when Bishop may call me on a Monday and say, hey man, I'm just calling to check on that moves me because I really believe before Love Akron, I'm not saying neither one of them would have gave me the time of day. I hope they would have. I hope I can call and Bishop runs and jumps for me. He hasn't done that for me yet though, right? I, I don't have the same pool. <laughs> but, but, but emotionally, that means something to me. You know what I'm saying? Like the first time you meet somebody, you know, uh, Pastor Jeff, he gave me his cell phone number. He's like, hey, man, I, I'm not going to be at everything that you have going on. But if you need me, I will be there. Right? Like, I trusted that. So how now do we allow people to come into this conversation and almost to hit a reset to say, yes, the doctrine is great. And it's good. And, and, and we have it. But that's not the all in all. The all in all is this is us really connecting. Like, how do we do that? And I know I'm taking this down another way, but that was what came to my mind is how do we reset that? So that we see Pastor Jeff, what you see is like, hey man, yeah, me and, me and Bishop, we're not gonna see how that everything, but man, that's my brother and I love him and it's okay. 
sometimes I feel as if it's not okay because I'm being told that it's not okay because I'm laying heavy in this thing, which is doctrine. Dr. Hawk, go ahead and take a stand. Oh man, this is heavy stuff. So um, I, a couple of thoughts. Um, uh, when, when you frame your relationships or even if you frame your whole Christian reality primarily in terms of doctrine, that allows you to do certain things and not to deal with uh, really substantial things. Mm -hmm. So again, just speaking from that white evangelical perspective, one of the things that allows you to do is that I can keep, I can keep relationship at arm's distance with people that I really don't want to be in relationship. And I can just say, well, this is, you know, this, this just, I can't, this is my conviction. This is my belief and I uh, love the, not nothing personal. But uh, I just can't go there. So it's it's a way of keeping people and and issues and and actually defining people as issues rather than human beings. And so I, I just I can take myself out of this relational piece, which kind of takes me out of the sense that I actually have uh, a Christian responsibility uh, to uh, to love my brother and my sister and to walk with them. So I can do that. It's also a means of control. I'll just say it like that because I can say, well, you know, my doctrine's right, our doctrine's right, and and uh, um, you know, you're you're just really uh, there's there's something that 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 you believe in that just doesn't hit with me at at a at such a deep level that I can really I can really go there with you. And I've seen this. I've seen this in 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 conversations. And the other piece is is that. Um, particularly Western Protestants from pretty much from the beginning have been really um, nervous about emotion. Um, you know, we just want to keep this, you know, it, it kind of intellectual. Uh, let's, let's, let's keep our worship just kind of a, about ideas and, and doctrine and that type of thing. Uh, and then we don't have to deal with the messiness of emotion and therefore the messiness of relationship. We don't have to take a risk with people that we'd rather not take a risk uh, with. And, and so it, so how, how do we, you know, how do we reset? Um, well, one thing, and this is something that I tell my students, I mean, we just have to get back to preaching the Bible, uh, you know, in the mode that the Bible wants to be preached, we, we, the, the text that we want to avoid should be the text that we, we, we preach about, we work through with our congregations. I mean, every, every individual who is a preacher or a teacher of the word signals to their congregation or their students what is important about scripture by the passages that they preach and teach and set before them and the way that they present them. So I, I think we've got to find a way uh, to gather around this banquet, which is scripture, and really begin to have scripture begin to challenge us in its way. I mean, again, uh, what do we do with you know, this, this constant command that we are to love one another? That that all of the scripture Jesus said, the, the Old Testament, it boils down to just two, two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, soul, and strength, 
and then one just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So um, we've got to let these biblical texts breathe outside of the doctrinal confines that that we put them in so that we really don't have to to deal with the claims that they make on our lives. You know, I agree with you so wholeheartedly. I want to step back a minute because of, of Kemp's question. I mean, I've I fully agree with, with everything you share, and we need to explore those. I just read a book by H. Richard Niebuhr, mm-hmm. The Responsible Self. And I just want to lift one idea. He said, we are so deeply impacted and entrenched by our past that maybe we are unaware of how entrenched we are. So that when it comes time to start doing what Dr. Hawk is saying, all the things he said need to be done. Why don't we do them? We are so deeply impacted by the culture, where we were raised, how we were raised, the experiences we had, adverse childhood experiences, on and on and on, that it has that impact upon us. Brother Kemp, you may not know this, but here's a here's an interesting corollary. And, and I would think, all of you perhaps may have some inkling of it. African-Americans struggled in slavery to figure out how do I love my master who's destroying me? And let me simply say, no doctrine is gonna help you. That's not a doctrinal question. That's a relational question. How do I love somebody who's destroying me and wrestle with that, which creates, and we don't want to talk about, get too deep into that today, but creates the duplicity, uh, how I need to talk to one group, how I need to talk to the other group and those kinds of things. But we are facing a deep, deep entrenchment. And if we don't face that, I'm not sure how we can say, Let's do what the Bible says. Jeff? Yeah, I um, this is a great conversation. I, yeah, it's a question, Kim, like, what do we do about it? And so I, I was, I layer things in my brain and steps. So I, I think it starts with um, number one, teaching people and modeling the people that you can't, I tell the folks at my church all the time, never think of your relationship with God outside of relational terms. That our interaction with Christ is a relational interaction. And you don't put it into academic terms. I don't put my marriage into academic terms or my friendships into academic terms. So I, I don't I don't lay out the three truths about Heidi and introduce her that way. So always so therefore when i hear god or i'm reading god's word i receive that through a relational lens right now what is the foundation of that relationship the foundation of that relationship is not arminianism it's not calvinism it's not dispensationalism it is the great commandment so the 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 young man who came and asked jesus he literally said What's the most important thing? And Jesus literally answered it. 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength when you combine the two Gospels, and love your neighbor as yourself, all the law, all the prophets hang on that commandment. That's what, that's what Daniel was saying. And I'm like, if you build your church and your faith from my relationship with Jesus into what do I, what's my, uh, how do I practice it through the great commandment? Everything else is secondary. So theology, doctrine, they might help inform what God is like. Uh, they may help structure how to love people, what our teaching might be like. But if you build it off of something else, you are actually building it off of a false gospel. Arminianism is named after a guy named Arminian. <laughs> it's a guy. See, Calvinism is built off of Calvin. It's a man. These are human constructs to understand God. And they can be helpful and they can be harmful. But if you don't have the basic relationship with Christ and, a, and are doing his very basic command, love him, know him, love people, know people, then none of the Bible makes sense and none of the practice of the church makes sense. So you can probably tell I'm passionate about this. So th that's where you start. And, and what happens then when you get that, you categorize yourself differently. I'll be honest with you guys. It's been a it's been a good little thing for me. I had never thought of myself as a white evangelical until this conversation started like six months ago or a year, whatever we started it. I'm like, Bishop, you and Kip are like white evangelicals. I'm like, what's a white evangelical? Like I don't even. And I'm like, oh, you mean me? Like I I never thought of myself that way. I don't think of myself as evangelical. I'm like, I, I, I think that's another discussion we probably need to have. It's <laughs> interesting. And, you know, and I want to get in trouble here. This is for next time, Kim. This is for next time. Okay. He always used the word teach. You're always like, next yeah, time. Yeah. We've, we've, we've used the word teach a couple of times. Teach. I'd like to challenge that word because I'd like to, Dr. Hawk, the Old Testament expert, is on, the, is on here. We're glad to have him. Jesus, that God didn't come to mankind and said, I want to teach you a couple of things. Right. That's right. What he said was, what he did was, I created, I knew you were coming, so I baked the cake. I created the world for you. These are all my gifts to you. I only asked you one thing. Don't eat of this tree. It's not a, it's not a teaching. It's a commandment. And will I... Will they obey the commandment based upon their trust, their relationship with God? So, Brother Kemp, I'm, I'm, cha I'm challenging that word because you both said it, but you used the word teach. I don't know if we can teach people anything mm -hmm. about this. We can model it. I think we got to live it. And you can frame it. I, I agree with you about modeling and living it. I also think uh, even what uh, Daniel was saying about we signal. I, I think we can frame conversations in the in a correct framework or in a false framework. And I think the framework of relational theology, God's love, great commandment, um, that's the right framework. Yeah, I'm, so, 
uh, again, I just want to say this for our listeners. Again, you are tuning in to the Intersection Podcast. You're on with myself, um, Coach Kent Boyd, Bishop Johnson, Pastor Jeff Bogue, and also Dr. Hawk, where we are talking about how can we see Jesus in a more unified way. And we're looking at it from the angle, from the lens of relational trust versus doctrinal trust. And the conversation today has been rich and deep. So with that being said, we, we, we we're kind of identifying our own things. Here's what I know. Here's what I've learned today, right? And I'm going to go around to each one of you to say, what have you learned today? What I've learned today is that Pastor just wants us all to live naked. Okay, take that how you want and <laughs> do whatever you want with it, right? Like, but and they'll you know, be careful. Hey, this came from Pastor Jeff Bold of Grace Church of Greater Akron. Um, but but the next thing I learned is, and this was this was powerful, um, because I've learned these terms more that I've sat in the seat at Love Akron. Is that man, Pastor? He's like, man, I didn't see myself as a white evangelical. Like that was for me, that was kind of powerful, right? And when I say that, I don't mean it from a place of offense more than of probably what I've learned or what I've experienced, correct? And so, but I appreciate you saying that. And, and I don't think I see that. him either as a white evangelical, but I see him connected. I don't think he, he bears, I don't think he holds the same doctrinal stances that they do the same relational stances that they do. Uh, I don't think, I'm sure Dr. Hawk doesn't. I don't, I don't think they, but there is, a con, there is a cultural context that we would like to step outside of and say it does, this is H. Richard Niebuhr again, that it doesn't affect me. I'm not a part of that. I, I'm not sure we're ready to make those statements yet. I, could, I couldn't make that statement. I'm not a white, I'm not white, I'm not evangelical, but I've been impacted by white evangelicalism in the context of preaching and teaching on Moody Radio. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the threads that I'm going to take with me. And, and Bishop, um, I mean, maybe a thread and even a question, you know, for us to talk about at some point. Um, because you were talking about Niebuhr, and then you were talking about um, how you know the, the struggle that uh, the African slaves had with loving, um, you know, their masters. And what what came through my head was William Faulkner's old quotation from *Requiem for a Nun*: uh, "The past is never dead; it's not even past." And so, you know, we we. You know, we don't have a sense of um, any of us, how deeply wounded we really are, how deeply mangled up in, in sin that we are. And how, how do we, how can we, and to, to bring it all around to the main topic of trust, um, how, how can we get to a place uh, with somebody where we trust them enough for them to feel that like they can say, you, you got a problem. Uh, you don't see it. Uh, I love you, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I love you enough that I need to say something. Amen. And understand that there, the trust is there, that that's yes. not going to be experienced as an attack, as a put down, but a genuine concern 
that, you know, for, for healing. And, and anyway, so that's, that's the thread I'm, I'm going to. No, I think you hit that nail on, on the head because what we're saying, is, it looks like, let me, let me back up for a minute. Let me get off the dance floor and get up on the balcony and look down. It looks like we're saying, here's the Bible. If we did what the Bible said, we wouldn't have these problems. The question is, the, un, the unspoken question, why don't we do what the Bible says? Yeah. Okay, what's the problem? And the problem is something that's so deep that we are not discussing that it almost lets people off the hook. But they just say, well, I'm, I'm going to do that or I, I, I'm willing to do that. Or there's something that's holding us that will not let us loose that easily. And we've got to get to that, that core. Yeah, I, 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 you know, Dr. Hawk, you said something and you kind of walked through this thing, but as you were talking about that, it took me back to, you know, what, what, what Jeff was talking about, you know, when he called Bishop Johnson, exactly. you know, because he was, in, he was in a deep place, mm -hmm. you know, of hurt and of pain. And, you know, he, he, you know, there was enough trust there to outreach or to reach out, right? And it, it takes me to um, one, one of your, I think it was um, the third sermon that you did, Bishop, on the death, of tr the, the, the death of trust. And you talk about how, you know, how you want to touch on the four elements of trust. We should know that it takes all four elements to create trust, right? And so as I was listening to Jeff talk about this experience with you, I'm going down and the first one's reliability, then acceptance, then openness, which I think had to play a role in it because he had to be open enough, right, to reach out. But one that I find very interesting is the fourth one where you talk about congruence. And, I, and in that, I think I'm beginning to hear what, what really sparked what we see between you and Pastor Jeff now was the congruence that he felt where it's just like, I'll do what I'll say I'll do. And for you in that moment of his life is you just showed up. You just showed up. You returned the call, right? Maybe that day or the next day, but you returned the call. You did what, what you said or what he thought or what he trusted you would do based on probably some experience of you. And I, I just kind of love that. And so for me, that's been really telling because it helps me think about how, how do we go about kind of repairing, rebuilding, resetting, and the command is right, right? Um, but that's what we need to talk about that next time. That is, our trust is broken. Mm. How do we repair it? Yeah. Because we're, we're kind of saying, well, what do we need to do? What do we need? First, we have to acknowledge how broken it is. Mm -hmm. And it needs a lot of repairing. Um, but I don't want to jump to repairing. I've, I've been doing this for a long time and people want to talk about solutions, but we have, I don't know if we know what the problem is yet. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that would be a fascinating conversation the next time we, we're together. And, and um, I think, you know, we talked about character. We talked about how all that's tied to trust. And, and Camp, you're kind of dialing in on this, this um, 
the time that I reached out to Bishop there, and and I think it is a maybe a good example of that those steps. I wasn't thinking that I'm a white evangelical, and I wasn't thinking that Bishop is a black, you know, whatever his theological camp is. I wasn't thinking I'm a white person. He's a black. I, I wasn't thinking I need a black opinion. In my, I wasn't thinking that. This is what I was thinking. I knew I knew Joey a little bit. And then this, this is probably what was on my mind. He carries the title bishop, which is pastor to pastors. Mm -hmm. I needed a bishop. Mm. So his, his character, his title, when I, when I reached out for a bishop, the title matched the man. Mm. And that caused enormous trust within me. You see what I'm saying? That's that congruent yeah. stuff. And and I'm like, and then that fired a relationship. And and there's something there. There was the our color or the color of our skin never even crossed my mind. My the theology and doctrine wasn't across my mind. Like there there's a there's a person who says he'll pastor pastors, he's a bishop. And when I called him, that's exactly what he did. I think you know. we need to ex I think we need to explore that next time. And I think the also thing that we need to explore is that he was in pain. Yeah. And pain is the great equalizer. It's it's the when great vulnerability. When you're in pain, you're not looking for a doctrinal answer. When you have been reared in repetalistic oppression, excuse me for using that term. It means when you've been raped. You're not looking for a doctrinal answer. You're looking for health, hope, love, acceptance. Um, so that's part of what we need to discuss, that in the general white church world where many people are not in pain, not in that kind of pain. They're in pain, but not in that kind of pain. And in the African-American world where we have grown up in pain, would respond two different ways to relationship. Hey, listen, we're gonna get ready to wrap up, but before we wrap up really quickly, I'm just gonna go around, just tell me what you learned today. So Dr. Hoff, what did you learn today? <laughs> really quick, quick, it's gotta be, come on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm learning that uh, re reliability, openness, congruence and uh oh no i'm gonna plug the quiz character and trust go together yeah awesome awesome bishop johnson what did you learn today i think i learned that these that that all of you all of us have a deep appreciation for the things that we're discussing i can sense the depth at which we are drilling down, which we're trying to grasp something. So I've learned the depth that it, it's, I, I know it's there. Uh, so I wouldn't say I learned it. Let's say I felt it today. I felt a little bit more of the, the, the depth of, and we're grappling with something here. Yeah. Mm. Pastor Jeff, what'd you learn today? Uh, that trust trumps everything. And, uh, and to grapple with things and to wrestle at it at the depths we need to 
uh, you have to take the time to build the bridges of trust to get to those places to even hear each other. And, uh, that's good. and that takes some patience and the, and the work of God, I think, but. Well, I learned that man, God loved the devil. <laughs> <laughs> like, Hey, I mean, listen, did Jesus love Judas? Sure. You know, like that, that's a, that was really, really powerful and profound to me. So he does tell us to love our enemies, but uh, I don't know if we really take him seriously. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I want to thank our audience for jumping on with us today as we continue to seek God's voice and navigating all the different intersections of each of our lives. Um, you can subscribe, follow us on Apple, Google, um, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube um, for the Intersection Podcast. And we'd love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback for us or any questions, please feel free to reach out to us at intersection at loveakron.com. That is intersection at loveakron.com. As always, thank you brothers for, man, being a part of this and sharing your wisdom, your perspective, and all of your knowledge, not only with myself, but also with all of our listening audience. So, hey, love you all. Appreciate you. God bless. Thank you.